This is no ordinary sub shop. This is Firehouse Subs. Welcome to Firehouse. Tired of overpriced lunches that underdeliver on flavor? Head to Firehouse Subs, where for a limited time you can get a $4.99 choice sub. Choose from a medium smoked turkey, Virginia honey ham, or roast beef. They're custom-made hot subs at a price ready-made to make you smile. Just $4.99, only at Firehouse Subs. Enjoy more subs, save more lives. Participating locations plus tax limited time offer prices may vary for delivery. In this hour, we have an independent journalist and senior fellow at the Schuster Institute for Investigative Journalism. Seth Fried Wessler is also the recipient of the Soros Justice Media Fellowship from 2014 to 2015. Congrats on that, Seth. Previously, he's been on the show with us. He discussed his investigative work into two dozen disturbing deaths that had taken place in privatized immigrant-only prisons. And we thought it was time to bring Seth back with all that's going on in decision-making regarding shutting down uh, privatized uh, incarceration facilities. Seth Fried Wessler, welcome back, buddy. Thank you for being with us. Good afternoon. Thanks for having me back on. Seth, you also wrote a piece for The Nation entitled, The Justice Department Will End All Federal Private Prisons Following a, quote, Nation Investigation. First off, for people didn't hear you on the show prior, uh, tell us about this investigation done uh, for The Nation that obviously you had a huge role in. Sure. Well, so for the last year, I've been publishing stories in The Nation magazine with the Investigative Fund at the Nation Institute about this sort of strange subsystem of private federal prisons that the Bureau of Prisons, which is tasked with holding people convicted of federal crimes, that the Bureau of Prisons has set up really to, to hold almost exclusively non-citizens convicted of federal crimes. Um, and what I found is that in these dozen or so uh, private federal prisons that currently hold about 22,000 people, um, that medical care in these facilities is um, consistently operating far below standards and sometimes in ways that's outright deadly. I documented dozens of deaths inside of these facilities over years and more recently found that the Bureau of Prisons itself had known about the very problems that I documented, you know, wide-scale and systemic failures to provide basic medical care to men held inside the facilities, but that the Bureau of Prisons had failed to really enforce the rules and in some cases had left uh, failing facilities to continue operating without significant consequences. The announcement from the Department of Justice last week that the Bureau of Prisons is going to have to move forward to close these very prisons, it came as a surprise and shortly after the most recent of my investigations. Um, uh, but it's going, to, it's going to force the Bureau of Prisons to get out of the business of, of contracting with uh, prison, for-profit prison companies to run federal prisons. So that people understand, why do we even have this option? And I say that because, and correct me if I'm wrong, aren't there state-run facilities and then there are federal-run facilities? Um, and, and, you know, obviously there's funding there. Is this to offset funding? Because my understanding, at least if you look at the units that the kids coming in from Central America have been put in, um, the government pays these private facilities, and like I said, correct me if I'm wrong, millions of dollars. So it can't is is it financial? Is it managerial? I mean, what's the benefit to well, the, the the state and or federal government to have these private, um, you know, facilities, especially when information like this is coming out? 
Well, you know, back in the, ni- the mid-90s, mid and late-90s, the federal government during the Clinton administration and uh, the Clinton administration and Congress made a decision to privatize a subset of federal prisons. And the thinking back then was that as the size of the federal prison population was rapidly expanding, that private facilities would be an easy way to for- provide for find bed space for this really growing population of prisoners. And very quickly, then, the Bureau of Prisons said, you know, this would be a way both to save money and to hold this ballooning prison population. But, you know, early research into the actual savings basically found in the late 90s and early 2000s that these prisons weren't going to save money, would probably cost about the same as a regular federal facility, and meanwhile, would diminish the quality of the way these these, uh, prisons are operated. But by that point, these prisons were sort of part of the way that the federal federal government was managing its prison system. And so the prisons have remained open, remained open for 20 years until this announcement came last week from the Department of Justice that, in fact, it's now clear that these facilities provide significantly diminished kinds of medical care and that the facilities are less safe and less secure than prisons run by the federal government and that in the next five years, the uh, Bureau of Prisons is going to have to zero out the number of people held in, in privatized prisons. You talked about before on the show when you wrote in your piece that there were dozens of questionable deaths and there are years of warnings from internal monitors. Um, who if anybody, oversees a privatized prison? In other words, you know, what type of regulations are they supposed to come under? Are they different than state and federal? You know, after the Bureau of Prisons set up this private subsystem of of prisons for non-citizens, it did establish a kind of oversight system where monitors would go in and check on how these facilities were operating. And in fact, those monitors would go in and check on how these facilities were operating. And time after time, the monitors would send reports back to Washington that showed systemic failures to provide people with medical care and other problems, repeated failures and systemic failures, to the point where people were were dying of treatable diseases, people who had HIV, who were completely untreated, people with mental illness who were left alone without any mental health care in in solitary confinement cells and then killed themselves. Really horrific stories. And despite these warnings from monitors, which went up to Washington, the facilities were kept open and contracts with failing facilities were extended over and over again, even though these contracts are written in such a way that the Bureau of Prisons has left itself easy outs when prison companies are failing to comply with contracts, even though there are these opportunities to get out of these contracts quite easily. For years and years, the facilities stayed open, and the problems continued unfixed, again, even as these monitors were flagging the problem. So the monitoring system was there, but wasn't leading to changes, and people, men held inside, prisoners held inside, were suffering quite dramatically as a result. We're going to take a break. We'll be back with our guest. If you have questions or comments, pick up the phone and join us now. Hours go by quick on the program. 888-6-LESLIE, 888-653-7543. We'll be back with Seth Freed Wessler, who wrote this great piece for the nation and is a senior fellow at the Schuster Institute for Investigative Journalism. Back with him and you right after this. 
We're back with Seth Fried Wessler, independent journalist and senior fellow at the Schuster Institute for Investigative Journalism. He's also the Soros Justice Media Fellowship recipient for 2014 through 15. And previously, he's been on the show talking about his investigative work, which we're talking about again today. An article he wrote for The Nation called The Justice Department Will End All Federal Private Prisons Following a Nation Investigation. Seth, thank you for holding. Welcome back. Uh, let's take some calls. And we started out with Felix in New Mexico listening on KTRC. Uh, Felix, I know you've called the show before. Yeah, you've, hi, you've this met, is Yeah, can you hear me? Yes, and I know that you are a U.S. citizen and you were born in Sri Lanka. So uh, talk to us about this, uh, what comment or question you have for our guest on this issue. Yeah, um, the reason I called you, Leslie, because um, I want to thank the gentleman for all the investigations. And I've been in this country since 1985. Here's my comment. We preach United States preach to the rest of the world about human rights, and we do the opposite in this country, and get, we get away with that. Here's the reason. I want to know from that uh, gentleman, I don't know his name, but I want to thank him for what he done. Did anybody get charged for all this debt? Well, that's a good question. Seth, did anybody, uh, were there any charges? Is anybody held responsible? You know, um, until... The investigation that I published uh, was released earlier this year, um, and the history of these particular prisons, um, only one family has sued successfully, uh, in, this, in that case won a settlement over the death of um, uh, their, their relative inside of one of these facilities. Since the release of my reporting, another family has filed a lawsuit um, against a uh, prison in Texas, uh, the, an operator of a prison in Texas, where um, a man died, a man named Nestor Garay, who was held inside of one of these prisons uh, and one night had a stroke. Uh, but instead of responding to that stroke as every medical care provider and most people know uh, by uh, to do by uh, calling 911. This prison, the low-level medical worker on staff that night, the lone medical provider on staff for nearly 4,000 prisoners, decided to leave that man in his cell until morning to be checked on in the morning. By the time uh, the morning nurse came to check on him, it was too late and he soon died as a result of that stroke, a stroke that doctors who read his medical file said likely could have been interrupted and he likely could have been alive today had he been treated. That family has sued um, Geo Group and the medical care provider in that private company, uh, private facility. There's no outcome yet of, of the lawsuit. But, you know, by and large, what I found is that these prisons were able to continue operating with vast deficiencies, providing people with terrible, terrible medical care, sometimes deadly medical care, leaving people to to suffer really quite significantly, and that there weren't significant consequences. In fact, people who were hired to monitor these facilities, actually Bureau of Prisons officials who worked inside of these facilities as monitors, they told me that when they tried to get their bosses in Washington to act forcefully to impose fines and even close failing facilities down, their bosses in Washington refused to do that. So for a long time, the consequences really haven't been there. There's been very little consequence for companies that fail to to care for prisoners. And um, and so the decision by the Department of Justice to force the Bureau of Prisons to close these, these, these facilities 
is in many ways a kind of act of, of uh, you know, finally uh, taking, holding these, these contractors um, accountable. It's sort of a rare moment of accountability. All right. Thank you very uh, much um, to Felix for that question. If you have questions or comments, pick up the phone and join us, 888-6LESLIE, 888-653-7543. Seth, we have some tweets. Patricia Collins tweets, change sentencing laws, release nonviolent prisoners. Now, this would address uh, numbers. This would address some of the problems that we have with overcrowding. Um, You know, is that what's going to inevitably have to happen in the future with closing all these, if in fact it happens, private uh, privatized prisons. Well, I mean, one of the reasons that the federal government decided to privatize some of its prisons in the first place was that the federal prison population was swelling in the 1990s and 2000s, dramatically and historically was growing and growing and growing, largely on the backs of back of drug charges, people being charged for drug crimes, but also significantly in this case for charges, criminal charges for crossing the border. So when people are deported, re-entering after deportation, that's now a felony, and it can land you in prison for months or even years at a time. And many of the men inside of these facilities that I have been writing about and investigating were held really solely for this crime, this relatively new crime. In the past, people who crossed the border were simply deported. Now the federal government has shifted to prosecute people criminally for this crime called illegal reentry. There's no evidence that it works to deter anyone from crossing, but the numbers of people over the last decade who have been prosecuted for these crimes have grown significantly, and that has helped to drive the growth of these private prisons. Now, for the first time in a generation, the size of the federal prison population is slowly beginning to fall. Um, there are some reforms. People are being um, released. And, uh, and the size of the federal prison system is slowly starting to creep downward. And so the need for these kind of the subsystem of really subpar private prisons is diminishing. But it's not clear at all that the number of people being prosecuted for these, you know, what's really a, a crime of, uh, what was not previously considered a crime, the act of crossing the border, and has now been criminalized, it's not clear that those prosecutions are falling at all, even as the criminal justice system is in a period of reform. Um, these, these prosecutions continue, and so people prosecuted for those crimes will now be sent to kind of regular federal prisons as these, um, these private prisons start to close over the next five years. Uh, some uh, more tweets uh, here. Um, the um, we question the, post, the question we posed is: Do you agree with the Department of Justice's decision to close federal privatized prisons? What will this do to overcrowding in federal and state facilities? Shehab said it's bad news for Rick Scott. We know him from obviously uh, Florida. And uh, somebody else said, if the DOJ said it, it must be incorrect. Jack says the worst thing ever about our country is privatized prisons. So a couple of things. Who is this really bad news for? Is Rick Scott in Florida, you know, is that accurate by the tweeter Shihab? And um, also, being that you've done this, would you say uh, that Jack is exaggerating, saying this is the worst thing ever about our country, privatized prisons? Or is it up there? Privatized prisons are, uh, are a part of the criminal justice system in the federal system and in the state system. The decision that the Department of Justice made immediately affects only these 13 federal pr- private prisons, 22,000 people. In the scheme of the whole population of prisoners in the United States, 
that's not very many. Uh, but, you know, the federal Department of Justice sort of sets the standards or intends to send, this, send a message to other federal agencies as well as to states. So um, I think from the Justice Department's perspective, this is potentially a first step, and I think there's a hope that states will follow suit um, uh, by closing their own private facilities. At this point, the facilities that are closing are, are just these, these this subsystem, this sort of small subsystem of, of 13 private federal facilities. Um, again, the it, we, we sort of have yet to see what the fallout of this decision will be on states, many of which use private contractors to hold some of their own prisoners, and also to other federal agencies like Immigration and Customs Enforcement, which uses um, private prisons uh, in significant part to detain people pe- waiting for deportation. Those facilities, those other federal facilities and certainly state facilities, won't be affected by this announcement from the Department of Justice. Let's go to more calls in Kentucky on line three is Jason. Jason is listening to the show on our Spreaker stream. Jason, good afternoon. Question or comment for our guest, Seth? Um, both, I guess. Um, first, I want to know, you said five years this would take place? Seth, you said over a five-year period? That's right. In the next year, the number will fall quite significantly. At the peak, these prisons held 30,000 people, and a year from now, they'll hold about 14,000 people. And then the rest of the prisons are to be phased out um, over the next five years as the contracts come up for renewal um, in that period of time. And you uh, have another question or comment? Jason? Oh, we lost Jason. I think his phone went out. Jason, you can give us a buzz back, buddy, if you didn't have your question or your uh, comment heard or answered because we uh, we don't hang up on people here. Unless you use bad words, then we dump you. Uh, but we have a delay for that. Uh, Seth, uh, uh, thank you once again for holding. Um, so that people understand, in 2016, how, with such litigious society, does so much abuse occur? With the knowledge of this abuse, um, especially, I mean, look, I'm a liberal, I'm a Democrat, I voted for this president twice, but, you know, with the awareness of or under the nose of or the, you know, certainly not the guise of, but um, a Democratic president. You know, um, people who are incarcerated are are thrown away and ignored, and that's true for nearly everybody who's incarcerated, people in the United States very often stop caring about those people who we deem to be um, in need of incarceration. And so very terrible things can happen inside without notice, and it happens all the time. In the case of these prisons and this particular population, there's a kind of double disappearance, because not only are these people prisoners, people who we call criminals, people who have been incarcerated for something that we call a crime, as I said before, it's border crossing in many cases, uh, which didn't previously, wasn't previously treated as a crime, but these folks are also non-citizens, another layer of sort of uh, casting people out as um, undeserving or unworthy, and many of them, their families, the sort of first line of advocacy, the people who might be able to call up and uh, say something to prison officials. I mean, it, it, even that kind of um, basic level of advocacy that people's families and communities can provide, it's not possible because these, many of these men, their families are in another country. Seventy-five um, percent of the people in these prisons are Mexican citizen 
And so they're sort of doubly cut off, cast out because they're in prison, and then doubly cut off because their families are across a border. So, you know, when it comes to achieving justice for people who are suffering inside of these prisons, it's incredibly difficult. Consulates sometimes can do a piece of that work, but it's they're overwhelmed with calls from people complaining about the conditions in these private prisons and haven't been able to move the dial significantly. So, um, you know, for families I've talked to, families of men who have died inside of these private prisons, the announcement by the Department of Justice that these facilities are going to be closed down strikes them as uh, some kind of justice, even if clearly a kind of justice or an act of justice that's coming far too late uh, for them and for their family. I also want to know, with regard to this breakdown, and you talked about this, let me reiterate so that folks understand once again. Uh, by May of 2017, when many of the existing federal contracts are already set to end, the total number of inmates in contract prisons will drop to 14,200, and that's down uh, from 22,000 uh, now, a high of nearly 30,000 back in 2013. So within five years, like you said, every current federal prison contract will have reached the end of its term. With this decision, is there any way that a prison could say, hey, our bad, give us another chance, we can turn this around, or are we looking in five years at the definitive um, every federal prison contract at the end of its term possibly not being renewed and it would be the end of prison, uh, it would be the uh, end um, of these contracts as we know it? You know, if things go as this memo lays out, private prisons will no longer be a part of the way that the Federal Bureau of Prison locks people up. Um, That is certainly what's laid out in this memo, and that is the plan. Now, of course, that could change. This was an administrative decision, and we don't know what a next administration will do about uh, prison privatization. Um, But just... You know, to your point, could they, could these, to your question, could these facilities sort of say, oh, our bad, let's fix the problem? What is dramatically clear from my reporting is that these prisons have been failing repeatedly. They've been warned repeatedly to fix the problems that the government finds when monitors go in to look for problems, and they don't fix those problems. And it strikes me that the federal government has reached a point where they've realized that this sort of diminished quality of prison operation isn't acceptable anymore. It's not going to be something that the, the federal government um, does. They're not going to contract with with companies that haven't performed uh, to standards for now 20 years of contracting in the federal prison system. When we look at this system and we break down, like you have said before on the show, and you have said in uh, this piece for the nation, these are less safe, they're less secure, they're even more costly. Uh, and, and then you have people, you know, dying in, in these prisons and not being treated properly. Not everybody who goes in prison is locked up for life. You're hoping for having um, some, uh, you know, type of rehabilitation, uh, somebody uh, to give themselves another chance not wanting to go back there. And obviously you're not going to want to go back to a place that's not safe or secure. But then again, I would imagine that feeds into a higher recidivism rate as well. Well, one of the things that's striking about these prisons and about the sort of logic of the federal government to lock people up, and I write about this in The Nation and in an episode of Reveal 
revealnews.org um, uh, that I did about this investigation. Uh, the whole idea of these prisons was to create prisons that offer fewer services, like reentry services, to help people return to their communities because these people, these prisoners, are non-citizens who will later be deported. It's built into the whole logic of using private prisons for non-citizens. Um, they're terrible places to be, the men who are held inside tell me. I've talked to many of them. And, um, and they're going to start closing now. We thank you for being with us, for doing this investigation, all this research, for writing the piece, and for being on the show again, Seth. We'll have you on in the future, if not about this, uh, your next project. I'm sure you'll be following this through as well. Uh, follow Seth on Twitter, at Seth, F as in Frank, W as in World. The website is SethFriedWessler.com. You ever hear something and know the world will never be the same? Houston, we have liftoff. We'll wait until you hear this one. Half price coffee. That's right. Get into McDonald's weekdays before 10.30 a.m. for any size premium roast coffee or iced coffee. Both made with 100% Arabica beans, both half the price. Good is brewing. And that's the sound of your morning changing. Limited time only. May not be combined with any offer or combo meal at participating McDonald's.